Welcome to Poets and Lunatics, episode four, Villains, part one, two. I'm James Pinelli, your host, joined with my good friend, Jesse Lee Yarbrough. Hey, how's everyone doing today? Doesn't make sense that I'm asking that, because I can't hear any responses. Well, I'm sure they're doing great. Yeah. Or they will be soon. Yeah. We're joined in our Santa Monica studios here today um, mm-hmm. with John Wallbanks. Uh, he actually stepped in before uh, Jesse was, uh, had a chance to come into the studios, and we, uh, I had a chance to ask him a few questions about uh, scum and villainy. <laughs> and all methods of chicanery, and it was a it was a lovely a lovely interview, and I'm excited to play that for you. Beforehand, I actually wanted to uh, get a few uh, take care of a little housekeeping. Um, last episode, episode three, when we talked about C.S. Lewis, I mentioned a book called Introduction to the Devout Life, and I incorrectly said that St. Francis de Sales wrote it. It was St. Alphonsus Liguori. I remembered that right afterwards, and I apologize for any of you that. Might have been mistaken. mistaken. Um, I can vouch for him. He did go to confession for it. So, just I, in case anybody was worrying about his soul. I was very penitent, right? <laughs> yeah, he was very penitent. I'm sure St. Alphonsus is looking down on you now in a thankful manner. <laughs> and then I also, there was something that we didn't mention in the... Um, it's it's hard it's hard for me to almost to bring it up, but we didn't mention it about uh, till we have faces. And uh, the, I think that last paragraph in the book really brought home a point that uh, I wish I had mentioned. And that the whole story was about Oriwell, the the princess slash queen. Um, and I think a lot of the sadness and heartbreak that a story went through could have been mitigated but for the fact that she never had a grasp of the worthwhile or of the worth of herself the worth of the love that she had and the impact that that love as she gave it to others had on those people um and it wasn't until the last paragraph that the reader is able to actually understand how much that love that Orwell had for others, how much that meant to everyone in the kingdom, and how much she was loved in return for it. And I was really struck by the fact that we were talking about about women and relationships and things like that, that last episode, in particular because of Till We Have Faces, uh, was about such a strong woman. And uh, we didn't mention that uh, or I didn't mention that I've seen that a lot in uh, in the women that I've met, where they take for granted uh, how much worth they are. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to say, any women that are out there, just at least it's my opinion that the uh, every single woman out there is worthy of of love um, and more love than any one man could give. And uh, I'm not saying that uh, in particular to any woman. It's just uh, it seems to me a shame that there hasn't a uh, there's such a, a woundedness of femininity mm-hmm. that we there is not much of a value placed upon the feminine person mm-hmm. in that she is worthy of all love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to uh, mention that because C.S. Lewis made that point so well. But in mm-hmm. any case, let's uh, unless Jesse, you have uh, other comments. I'd well, I just. Um for all of the ladies out there, um, James is single, 
So, uh, <laughs> uh, just after hearing that, I know you're you're swooning, and um, yeah, um, you can look them up on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's it. Let's talk about villains. Now. Let's, All right, let's get to okay, villains. Cool. All, All right. right, we'll play that John John's episode. So, Mr. John Wallbank, thank you so much for uh, coming in on such short notice and talking to us about villains. Wow, my pleasure. It's so good having you. Um, okay, so I would like to just start out by asking a little bit of a general question. What makes a good villain? Well, I think there's a good tension, uh, a balance <clears throat> between someone who is... Um, uh, believable and uh, has a certain sort of um, uh, narrative grace uh, that fits with the story and um, yet also terrifies and disorients because of their formidability of uh, some things that they do that are unexpected. They're just not your everyday next door neighbor. Yeah, they, <laughs> they're terrifying, but all at the same time, we're also really drawn to these villains. What what makes us so interested in these type of people? I, I think that there is a, a vicarious need for a certain sort of power and impunity, maybe even. And uh, also, uh, when it comes to the narrative, that uh, if we can go through this experience and get out of the theater alive, then, ah, we made it. <laughs> so it makes us stronger, or it's a thrill ride? Well, or? it's interesting. The research on um, movies that end good or bad, um, it, it, I think we're called, uh, as people of faith, to have inspirational movies, and there's a lot to be said, and I'm an advocate for, uh, having movies that where the good guys win. But there is some evidence, and you could see this uh, working in trilogies. The Star Wars uh, trilogies uh, are examples where you have one or more movies where it doesn't end well for the good guys. And what happens is that viewers can feel a certain sort of um, invitation to do something because the world's not quite right. Hmm. You've, you've studied quite a bit about, about the mindset of a villain, and uh, you've written and you've had publications about it in, in scholarly journals and things like that, and as well as being cast in many different types of, um, uh, of, of, of villains' roles in music videos and in uh, TV or other, other things like that. What's drawn you to this type of mindset and this type of research? Well, uh, first I need to make a distinction that uh, all villains are not the same, and all good villains even are not the same. And so you may have something like a shark that uh, we don't feel very relatable to that shark, and that shark is in a, in a, in a different media, the water from us, and, and it, it's something that uh, is formidable, and um, <clears throat> yet there are human villains human bad guys that uh, range from the, the mistaken one, the, the, the um, double agent or the anti-hero that could be on the good side or the bad side. Um, 
I had the uh, terrifying, terrible, uh, discouraging uh, experience of watching Suicide Squad this uh, weekend. And uh, I, I say it a little tongue-in-cheek because I knew it was going to be a hit at the box office. Very colorful, larger-than-life characters. Uh, the antics were just amazing. But um, movies and, and um, television are in a kind of like a, a post-postmodern or even post anti-hero level so will smith took an interest in this movie when it was uh described as bad versus evil and, and so i th i think we're in a state where um cynicism fatalism and nihilism are, are reigning and, and I, I i hope we spiral back where mm -hmm. the pendulum swings uh but at the same time too there's there there's a certain sort of realism that, you know, you do have saints and you do have people who are deprived, depraved, but most people have a little bit of good and bad in them. And so I think that for me, the um, what's appealing uh, is when I see someone who is bad and you wonder, you know, it's the rare story that can do this, but the, the bad guy turned into a good one. And uh, kind of like what we were talking earlier, uh, there's an old quote that says, uh, uh, heroes and psychopaths are they twigs from the same branch and so some of uh, when it comes to psychopathic personality which uh, is contrary to a lot of people's uh, opinions or thoughts it's the same as a sociopath and it's the same as an anti personality disorder antisocial personality disorder excuse me uh, it's just different names that the American Psychological Association has used in their uh, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, in the different versions over the years. And uh, like a lot of personality disorders, there tends to be two types. There tends to be one that's more socialized. It's a person who may be acting from vulnerabilities, uh, from insecurities, and they built up this uh, antagonistic, obnoxious uh, maybe even malicious type of uh, way of re relating. But then they're more biologically based personality disorders. And of course, you have socialization in the process. But uh, there are some researchers like, uh, as a British psychologist, very physiologically based, uh, his name is Hans Isink, and he would speak of cortical inhibition. And what he meant by that is, there are some people that will run into fires. Mm -hmm. They'll set fires. Now, whether they're the firemen that saves people's lives or they're the ones that cause that, uh, they like excitement and they are tough and it takes a lot to get to them. So they, they won't sweat. They'll be calm and cool and collective. But the problem is when you don't feel pain easily, it's very hard to learn. So it's very hard to develop a conscience when you can't learn. Hmm. And yet, there's always some hope that oh, this person who is malicious and he could look you in the eye and in, uh, in the eye and tell you a lie. Well, maybe there might be something there that he can do that's positive. Maybe he's the one that you want next to you in a dark alley when the wrong people cross your path. Maybe he's the one that you want out front in Iraq. Maybe he's the one that might make the difference in a positive way, if only he had those morals. So are you saying that something that's, that drew your interest, interest initially, and perhaps still now, is 
a hope that um, by understanding what makes real life bad people bad might help uh, you understand how we can turn them into heroes, basically, given that they're only a step away on their same twig of the same branch. Well, in, in the way of my interest, it's gone through two stages. One was uh, I uh, did a lot with youth ministry, and I uh, saw where there were some kids that weren't being served in the church. They, they had a high need for excitement, mm -hmm. uh, high stimulus or sensation-seeking need, as, as psychologists would call it. And so they would get into drug abuse. They would get into delinquency. Um, but I thought, and my research ended up showing, that those kids who high on extroversion, high on sensation-seeking needs, more likely to be delinquent, if you gave them an opportunity to help out and even sacrifice their time, but it had a component of excitement, they would do it actually more than the people that had a lower level of scores in those scales. Mm. And then the second stage of uh, my interest uh, was a little bit more hands-on as I became an actor. And I, uh, because I'm six foot nine. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> I, I can tell. I, uh, my first professional role was a Grim Reaper. And then um, uh, <laughs> one after another, uh, zombie pirates. Uh, all too many insane characters, uh, serial killers, demented bartenders, mad scientists, uh, rapists. And so sometimes it's getting a little too close for comfort. And, and, uh, and I had to be clear what I would do and what I wouldn't do because yeah. I had certain ethics. Yeah, and I imagine people are always pushing that line for you in the roles that they give you. Yeah. Well, it can be fun if it's campy. Uh, being a dancing zombie... Uh, is one thing, but uh, there was one time where uh, I, um, uh, one of the most uh, physically uh, taxing roles that I had, where I was uh, clad in black boots, black rubber overcoat, black gloves, black mask, uh, in a hundred degree temperature in the desert, running after kids and then picking them up and carrying them back toward camera. Uh, and at lunch, the director asked me a question, and it was uh, about the, the shoot the next day, which would be on the seashore in Malibu. And he asked me if I would do nude. Well, I heard that the shoot that next day would be actually an orgy scene. So I told him, well, uh, I'll be glad to do some more sprints with you, but I have to draw the line with the nudity. Yeah, yeah, that's... That that's a reality for artists in Hollywood here. We have to sometimes say no to work. Uh, I know I've been there, and yeah, you're not alone in having that. It's uh, it's kind of a fine line I found trying to uh, pay the rent and feel good about how you're you're with your conscience. <laughs> and most uh, most times, uh, very rarely have I had any any bad experience. Um, oh, that's good. Uh, most of the time, it's very clear up front, and it, and it's very surprising. This director, who had done actually some Christian projects, oh wow, uh, had said this. Was this me. supposed to be a Christian project or no? No, absolutely not. But uh, it wasn't supposed to be, as far as I know, something nefarious. But yeah. the, it was kind of a dark, sinister type thing, and. Um, it, it just really surprised me that because there's there's there is a certain sort of professional uh, ethic that I if you have people doing something like that, 
you you notify them and and yeah. I and I had an opportunity to gain the confidence of uh, a PA, a uh, production assistant. And I said, was well, this switch and bait? Or bait, uh, excuse bait. me, bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he said, no, he, he heard them uh, doing some brainstorming and they just came up with that idea that morning. Mm. Uh, usually things are much more structured and planned out. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. That director said he had a, a, a spark of inspiration and wanted to throw you out there nude. Hmm. Um, so I, I was reading one of your uh, scholarly works on uh, on uh, some of the brain science or some of the behavioral studies on uh, some of these antisocial behavior, and you you had an interesting term called uh, the Robin Hood syndrome. What is the Robin Hood syndrome? Well, Robin Hood uh, stole from the rich and gave to the poor, and so we have a lot of people who um, they they defy conventions and they're at one level you could say there's it's a pretty stark contrast between what they're doing as vigilantes or as thieves and what is right you need to play by the system uh, but sometimes the system is bad and i think most people would say for instance that all right even if it's a bad system let's say matters of abortion the bulk of Christians would, uh, in most faith traditions, uh, would say there's there's no good way of rationalizing the ethics of causing abortionist harm. It's an opportunity to talk with people and, and, and to show mercy and compassion and to try to win over their hearts. Um, but there are some regimes in the world and there's some times where maybe even in our own country in, in certain locales uh, um, and sometimes we only know them by hindsight and they make great movies when you see the injustice against um, people with a certain skin color in the past and, and now as we know in the news sometimes it still happens unfortunately and so how far do you carry that how far do you uh, go you, you don't shoot a cop that's wrong, but of course it's it can be good to protest, and so I think we have all sorts of questions like that. And what often happens in Hollywood, there is this vigilante that um, he makes it a little bit difficult for people to uh, make the right judgment on uh, how to be proactive because most of these superheroes they would be arrested. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they they'd have they'd have. 500 years worth of uh, crimes that they'd be charged with. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, it, that's unrealistic. And we, whether it, it's the, the, the films, television, or games, we, we assume that people who watch or play them separate that, that fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, but how much of it comes across and sticks with us? And it is actors, directors, writers, producers, we have to ask, are, are we doing something that encourages mm. the positive? Are we encouraging people to go too far? Just what kind of influence are we having? Yeah, that's, that's we have to be responsible artists. Um, but I'm curious, the Robin Hood syndrome, does that, is that found in, in, in the hero or the villain or both? Most of the time, it's it's the person who at one level is yeah. considered uh, a, a villain 
so one side, which turns out to be typically the bad side, or the people who are the uh, the imperial forces, or the ones who are, are oppressive to uh, those who are uh, the underclass, um, that is their their savior, that is their rescuer, and uh, it kind of almost builds a question of uh, if we take that to martyrdom what does that mean for the hero uh, and I think there is a, a way of martyrdom nowadays that uh, I wasn't aware of it you know just taking a mental scan going back millennia of uh, apart from certain specific individuals in certain specific cultures uh, being heroes, taking out civilians. You know, they're kamikazes. Maybe that is a a, a, a role in war. Uh, but to consider yourself a holy warrior uh, uh, that that uh, instantly gets the kingdom and a, a lot of extras thrown in there because he's martyred for the faith, but also takes out a lot of innocent people. Uh, to me, that's a big contrast to the Messiah that I know. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, so it's uh, this... I wish I could phrase this better, but it seems like there's a, uh, an almost a need for a Messiah in every, every mindset has that need. Whether you are uh, religious or not, you always are looking for a type of Messiah. And sometimes they're unholy martyrs. Is that what, is kind of, kind of what it is? It's uh, a sort of angry, bloody martyrdom as opposed to a peaceful, p uh, pacifying one. Well, also too, there's I, I think there's there's an intrigue that draws viewers in when you have subtext, when you have mm. a, a mixture of things. And take someone who uh, alienated some people, but is largely called a hero, mm. Steve Jobs, and uh, he and a lot of other people that are champion nowadays uh, are very unconventional because they push through a um, an innovative a disruptive technology and they may even have a reality distortion field that is to say they build an idea into people's minds with a certain sort of charismatic persuasiveness and um, we could even say that when it's really right on it's it's not a reality distortion field but that we are uh, asleep we are awake we're, we distort reality as it is, whether that's in the Western world being so consumed by commercialism or hedonism or whatever, or whether you look from Asian religious traditions and they talk about the Maya, uh, a certain sort of sleepfulness that needs to be awakened. Mm -hmm. And so you have somebody that comes in and they're fully awake, mm -hmm. they're fully conscious and mindful, and then they inspire that in others and people buy into that vision and they follow them. And inevitably there's someone going to be resistant and someone who's the oppressor, the old guard. And so a good story is often told of that a person leading all the others who have been oppressed and taken advantage of, and they have a certain sort of uh, promised land that they enter. Mm.
I have so many more questions I'd love to ask you, but I see that we are almost out of time, and I wanted to at least end with a, a couple of... Uh, what, what's an iconic villain that has stood out to you, and why? Well, there's a few. There's some like uh, Alien, Predator. They're so f uh, formidable. But then I think um, of Freddy. Okay. Freddy Krueger, who... Uh, something that always unnerves me is... is uh, the psychological thriller or the horror that uh, challenges who we are as humans and then unravels us at a psychic level. And so if someone can't sleep and someone is penetrating their dreams and there's a certain sort of uh, reality reorienting that is disorienting and is something that seems a whole different ball game with different rules to play. Mm -hmm. um, then, then, then I, as a viewer, and I think most others, uh, find find a real challenge. Like, what do you do against this? This is this is something that just it shouldn't be. It, it just there's there's like a a certain sense of the rules of the universe are broken, and yet there's enough of something there that's rooted in believability. So that you go, all right, well, I'm going with this. And, and filmmakers can use all sorts of things, whether it's beauty, charm, um, something that uh, writers have this thing called lampshading, mm -hmm. where if you have something that's a big plausibility gap to, to leap over, you have a character address that and then to excuse it away. So it's out there already. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Okay, uh, one last question. You mentioned Suicide Squad, um, and uh, you mentioned it with sadness. Mm. Is uh, how, what did you think of the was was there actual good villains or villains that were uh, could kind of achieve? When I say good, I mean not as morally good, but presented in mm. a way that uh, was uh, appropriate for the art medium of film. What did you think of the villains in Suicide Squad? Well, I think there's there's a lot of uh, like the athlete that uh, can glide through the air, maneuver through a couple people, and slam a basketball down. Uh, there's a certain sort of uh, attractiveness to grace, and so when you have someone who's acrobatic or someone who can uh, fire a gun and hit anything, and, and often on a ricochet. Mm -hmm. um, that, that formidability, that, that power, that, that's, that's appealing. Um, one of the things that uh, um, took me out of the movie, uh, even as I was trying to give it the benefit of a doubt, was one of the leaders on the good side killed some people in a way that I felt was needless. And mm. um, Yeah, that was shocking. I remember that scene. Mm -hmm. So uh, I... I I think we're getting to the point where where there's a lot of movies like AMC's Preacher, uh, uh, Mr. Robot has gotten a lot of attention, and I, and I see the uh, the production values. I could see certain character elements that uh, really speak to people, that really resonate, and uh, yet I, I think there's an invitation also to step back and see the forest. And so there may be some nice trees or they might, you know, there's a saying that I have, 
some poisons are sweet and some, some antidotes are bitter. And so there are these appealing things, and even some things may be morally appealing, uh, because you, you want to show, in the, you know, in Suicide Squad, uh, there's an effort to show how somebody became bad, how, how come they're angry, or how come they uh, are, are taking the type of actions they, they have. And sometimes the strength that they have was developed uh, in response to something that that challenged them, mm-hmm. and they could use it for good or bad. And so the idea is, here are some people who are, are bad guys that are using it for good. But along the way, they rampage, and they do a lot of bad, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe the world is getting to that point where um, some things are pulled out of the way, and there's less restraint. Um, but then again, there's a certain yearning that I have uh, that, well... There's a real life hero, saint, somewhere, maybe even more places, maybe the person that's next to you, someone you'll see later today, and they're undercover, and they're real, and they're not uh, without flaws, but there's more good that can be expressed, more good that can be shown. Great. Well, John, thank you again, and I can't wait till we uh, talk again soon. All right. God bless. Okay, thank you. That was a heady interview with Mr. John <laughs> Wallbanks, and you can look him up on IMDb Pro or IMDb. That doesn't have to be Pro. Uh, he's got a lot of good stuff on there, and look for uh, he I was actually telling me about this really cool VR project that in he um, he's into VR quite a bit and uh, starting his own company where he starts VR. But this wasn't something that his company was doing. Uh, they created an insane asylum in a virtual reality world wow. and he played one of the inmates in there and I can, I can attest he's quite imposing so if you ever have the dubious pleasure of being in a virtu- <laughs> virtual reality insane asylum watch out for Mr. John Wilbanks <laughs> but I, w- I would love for you guys to join us uh, on part two of our villains where we really dive into kind of what motivated us yeah. to want to talk I, about him yeah. I'd like to say something about that um, I am um, well there's a, a few things that have motivated it for me. Um, dealing with, uh, I mean, having gone to see a few movies recently, some big blockbuster hits, you know, uh, X-Men and um, Dawn of Justice and The Suicide Squad. To me, what made me want to talk about this was the fact that, like, a lot of the movies that I've seen lately, even before those ones, within the last couple of years... I feel like there's not any kick-ass villains, you know, and and um, so if there's, I just feel like it's so lacking, you know. For me, I love when a story has a really good villain, and I feel like it's been lacking lately. And um, so, yeah. And then um, also, I've been dealing a lot with the DMV lately. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it gives me a chance to rant, and I think. Um, yeah, this it's something I love when there's a villain that you love to hate in a movie. And I think, well, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's where my best work comes from is, is motivation from hate. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't come from a loving place. My best work comes from the passion of hate. So <laughs> might be appropriate for a drummer. <laughs> Although no, I'm, totally not sure, totally I'm not kidding. sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Any case, yeah, no, we've got a lot of good stuff planned for you next uh, next week. So join us. It'll be a little bit of uh, 
Uh, we'll bring back Full Metal Alchemist. We'll talk, can't, can't help but talk about Darth Vader and mm -hmm. my personal favorite, Doctor Doom. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. What are you looking forward to talking about, Jesse? Oh, I want to talk about Shredder um, and multiple depictions of Shredder and uh, Inglorious Bastards, Christoph Waltz, and um, who, uh, who else? The Joker. All right. Different depictions of the Joker. So, so join us next time. My, I'm James Pinedo. And I'm Jesse Lee Yarbrough. And we'll see you next week on Poets and Lunatics. Yeah.